0: insurance companies are in business to make money and so they should want to write a policy for us. They should be you know, knocking on our door to get our business. And what we have been experiencing in the last few years is that there are less insurance companies wanting to do just that for residential risk.
1: In this environment, we heard the adage, less is more, not for insurance professionals and underwriters. And I know general managers and boards last thing they want to do is have to answer all of these questions and these lengthy applications. But in order to become a priority and to be desirable amongst the underwriting community, they want to see a detailed and full submission that is up to date and that is accurate. And that will help differentiate you from what we call the fluff. Just slam it over there, just mark it as a market you went to, knowing that they're not going to take it seriously.
2: Most people are not equipped to understand the seemingly endless facets of an HOA. That's why we're here,
1: to help you become uncommonly prepared to serve your HOA. Whether you're a board member or a manager, join us in the uncommon area.
2: Welcome to The Uncommon Area, I am Matthew Holbrook and this episode is all about how to make your HOA more attractive to insurance companies. And joining me to talk about this subject is Matt Davidson, Executive Vice President at Action Property Management and Jonathan Naranjo, Senior Vice President at New Front Insurance and appreciate both of you joining us. Um, Matt, why do we even care about this topic, making (laughs) your HOA attractive to insurance companies?
0: Good question. It seems kind of backwards, doesn't it? Like, I think that a lot of people think that insurance companies are in business to make money. And so they should want to write a policy for us. They should be, you know, knocking on our door to get our business. And what we have been experiencing in the last few years is that there are less insurance companies wanting to do just that for residential risk, especially high-rise condominiums. And so we need to start thinking about the process of buying insurance and going to bid and things like that a little bit differently. And we need to, to ask ourselves, like how, how can we make ourselves stand apart from the rest so that somebody wants to write a policy for us? So Jonathan, maybe you can tell us a little bit about, um, first of all, like what's happening in the marketplace Mm -hmm. in general, like what's happening with rates, what's going on with carriers.
1: Yeah. Well. Thank you. A great question. Rates are going up, to, to say it succinctly and to the point, unfortunately. And one of the main reasons is the catastrophic losses that we've seen, especially in 2022. Hurricane Ian, for example, has now topped excess of $50 billion in insurable losses. And then if you look at the 15-plus weather-related issues uh, throughout the states, creating multi-billion-dollar occurrences, wildfire in California, flooding in the East Coast, named windstorm in Florida, it's creating a contraction in terms of capacity, meaning insurance and limits that are being deployed by a variety of different insurance companies. The backstop that insurance companies use, the insurance that they purchase, just went through a renewal on January 1st, we call it reinsurance treaties, at an average increase of 40%. And these insurance companies to your point earlier, they're in it to make profit, and they're in it to make sure that they are underwriting sound risk. However, what we're seeing with all of these losses has created a tightening, and now we have a supply and demand deficit, meaning there's a huge deficit in the options available to our communities out there, but there's a skyrocketing demand that ne- that wants more, and we just don't have it right now.
0: But- aren't things like hurricanes and floods and wind storms typically not covered by a regular property policy? Like if, if I'm buying my property insurance from farmers, mm-hmm. what does hurricane payouts in Florida have to do with my premium? Is it just the reinsurance component?
1: It's the reinsurance component that plays a heavy factor because many of these insurers are highly diversified. So they have exposure throughout the states and globally, and many of them are publicly traded. So reinsurance, absolutely. But I would also say loss trend. When you look at the losses in the HOA, in the community association, um, whether again, whether it's PUD, mid, high rise, you name it, What we've seen is frequency of losses. For example, one of the number one culprits of losses we see happens to be water damage or escape liquid. That's further exacerbated if you're a high rise versus maybe a mid rise or a couple of floors, for example. So even though some of these buildings are gorgeous and pristine and amazing in terms of amenities and are newly developed, the carriers know, looking at the actuarial data, that hey it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when are we going to pay out those water related events um, litigation in california tends to be a number one driver of that as well um, we see allegations especially on the dno or on the employment practices side of the fence um, come in hot and heavy for a variety of different issues and they may be futile or not but once there is representation or there's a demand from an owner, for example, whether it's monetary or non-monetary, the policy has a duty to defend you. Yeah. And so defense costs continue to skyrocket. And one other point I'll make, Matthew, because I think you bring up a great point, is well, what is the damage in other states that are cat-related, catastrophic-related, have to do with rising rates? Let's say for a, uh, you know, a downtown community here in Los Angeles. Well, property values are impacted by it. The cost of reconstruction the cost of material, the cost to rebuild in today's environment and to adhere to building ordinance and code, all of those costs have now gone up and the insurance company has a duty to insure you to value. So as cost for lumber, material, reconstruction goes up, well, so does your premium because now you have to insure to that value, which as you know, is a condition of the governing documents as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so I wanna go back just one step. I I was gonna ask you about this too. for a while we've been talking about property rates going up mm-hmm. and a lot of the catastrophes you mentioned are are property related. But what I'm seeing and hearing is that rates are also going up for policies like d and and employment practices liability and general liability. And so communities are seemingly sort of getting hit on all sides. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any, is there any good news in insurance right now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: Yes, there, uh, I can share, you know, it depends on how you're looking at it. Workers' Comp, which doesn't really impact a lot of our communities, although they have minimum premium policies that we've discussed before. Workers' Comp is actually looking at negative rates year over year in terms of premium. That's actually down, uh, I think it was about minus 1.1 percent, according to the CIAB, which is the Council of Insurance, uh, insurance agents and brokers. And so that's good news. Um, cyber liability, which was for 21 consecutive quarters, was the largest uh, insuring line in terms of increases. Has, is now down in second place. Property has overtaken that at 16% increase. Um, you know, for the first time in 20 21 consecutive months. So I'm not, So cyber is trending down. Umbrella liability, which was hard to get. So as a reminder for our owners and audience out there, the umbrella sits excess of your general liability. Your DNO limits, for example, workers, comp, and auto, uh, for that matter. We're seeing that come down below uh, 10% or less than double digit increases in Q4. So that's good momentum. But property is continuing to become more difficult because of capacity and is now leading cyber in the highest line increase, according to uh, the, C- the CIAB.
2: So what is a, what is an HOA to do to prepare themselves to be better positioned for that kind of market? Yeah.
1: And that's kind of what we're, you know, the desirability of an HOA is, uh, first and foremost, documentation. We talked a little bit about water damage. So one of the ways that you and your broker partner can portray you in a limited market for this, this industry is to communicate what the community and board of directors has done to mitigate risk. So if we're talking water damage, for example, does the general manager, the onsite engineer, if there is one, do all the on-site employees, have they bought into a water domestic emergency response plan? And how long, how often is training, and how often is it updated? A lot of brokers can work with you on that. They have services that they can provide guidance and, and service to help you.
0: So, when you talk about that, that sounded kind of complicated and oh, scary. Sorry. You're kind of talking about essential training for on site staff, if a community has on site staff, yep. around how do we prevent damage to the extent possible when there's a water leak, right? Exactly. So do people know where the shutoff valves are located? Yeah. Are there some supplies on hand to help contain the water and keep it from spreading to other units as much as possible? What about like leak detection? Does that play in?
1: It's like you're reading my mind right now. I like that. <laughs> you know, it's a great segue. So the key is that these um, the important measures communities are taking to mitigate risk, whether it's water or fire or you know, you know, active shooter, whatever it may be it's essential that that is communicated by your broker partner to the underwriting community. The details matter. In this environment, we heard the adage, less is more, not for insurance professionals and underwriters. Mm -hmm. And I know general managers and boards, last thing they want to do is have to answer all of these questions and these lengthy applications. But in order to become a priority and to be desirable amongst the underwriting community, they want to see a detailed and full submission that is up to date and that is accurate, and that will help differentiate you from what we call the fluff, just slam it over there, just mark it as a market you went to, knowing that they're not going to take it seriously. Um, but I would say, first and foremost, make sure there's documentation, make sure it's being communicated. Wireless water detection systems and the IoT devices that are gaining steam, those are great. Property insurers love that because not only does it demonstrate optically that the board is willing to make, and community is willing to make significant investments because they take risks seriously, but they're also going to benefit because the likelihood of them paying out claims goes down significantly, and they're going to rate for that. Plus, us insurance geeks, it, it builds a lot of goodwill. Because you know, these aren't cheap. These, these systems are expensive, but they are proven to work, and insurers love
0: that. Now, is there like a quantifiable discount or is it just something that you can do that makes your community look more attractive and maybe stand out from the other pile of applications?
1: It's the former. Or excuse okay. it's, it's the latter. I apologize. It's oftentimes well, when we install this, what's our premium discount going to be? Right. Well, in this environment, it doesn't happen that way. What it does is it allows you to get preferential rating amongst a community that may not have them installed. And number two, what you're doing is investing in the future and managing what we call your long-term total cost of risk. So if those wires, wireless sensors, the wireless water detection sensors, um, you know, was able to be proactive and eliminate three leaks before they occurred, well, those leaks could have caused significant damage. And I don't have a quantifiable number, but at least there's a proactive measure within the community to help mitigate one of the most frequent uh, exposures, which happens to be water damage.
0: Yeah. Okay. Thanks. So, um, one thing that I'm hoping you can cover for us too, is, um, how the bidding process works, Mm. you know, very often, um, and this is a a totally reasonable question, you know, um, a manager or a board will say, well, we've been with, you know, this insurer or this broker for a long time and the rates just keep going up. So let's get proposals and make sure that we're being competitive, but insurance is complicated. So talk us through what the steps look like and really what like the broker's typical job is, because I think that the broker is or should be getting multiple bids. But how does the board know? And how does the manager understand that?
1: Yes, this is a this question fires me up. Uh, And I I really enjoy this question because um, you have to go against the grain a little bit and get out of the, um, become a little unorthodox on how you're thinking about it. So let me just start here. We're talking about desirability of a community and how we, brokers can best represent them to get the best result given today's environment. Well, number one, there's a limited amount of insurers that specialize in community living and HOAs or co-ops. There's a handful of them. Any broker who is dedicated and a specialist in this industry, like ourselves, we know where to go and we know the limited uh, marketplace out there. So what I'm trying to say is, if you go out to bid as a community, which is your obligation and your right to do so, your incumbent broker has probably already blanketed the limited options because we're all going to the same option. And what that creates is a block. So what that means is if your broker represents you and went to the key markets and you try to shop it with another broker, they're going to be blocked. Underwriters and insurance carriers can only take a submission from one broker.
0: So just to Mm -hmm. kind of put it in different terms, what that means is that carrier X, like let's just say farmers, Mm -hmm. is only gonna write a quote for Spring Hill Tower once so three more brokers could ask farmers for a proposal for spring hill tower but they're not going to give it because they already quoted it right
1: yes far the caveat is farmers um they don't work with brokers they have agents they're a direct writer but you're you're absolutely correct you're it's um so i like I should to, have picked a different example. sorry no, no. <laughs> i like i so let's say um uh, travelers for example if I'm the incumbent broker representing a community that has general liability or a package policy with Travelers, well, a broker going there is automatically gonna be blocked if I'm the incumbent. If I'm, not, if I'm not the incumbent, and let's say I try to go to Travelers and I'm already blocked, they won't work with me unless they're a broker of record authorization assigned. But here's the fundamental issue that this creates. The market is limited for this space. When an underwriter, that same underwriter gets a submission from three different brokers, they start to say, wait a minute, who do we take seriously here? Who is the broker of record and why, they start asking themselves this question, why am I taking this opportunity seriously when I have three different brokers submitting the same community and not all the information is consistent? The replacement value might be different on one submission versus the other. And we've talked about this before, Matthew, there's a limited amount of time underwriters have. There's a deficit in terms of underwriting capacity also. And they have to be mindful where they're deploying that time. If they see community you know, community HOAX being represented by three or four different brokers, that's impacting the community, not helping it, because now the level of seriousness has gone down from the underwriter, and they don't want to deal with something this complicated, this back and forth, when they have other priorities in front of them.
0: Okay, Jonathan, uh, maybe you can just help us understand a little bit about um, how the broker reports back to the client about the marketing efforts. Since we've talked about some of the downsides of having multiple brokers Mm -hmm. shop the same risk, how does a community know that the broker has been active and has has approached different markets?
1: Yes, and that is an important question, and we always advise our boards and our communities to challenge the broker. Ask us about what we call a marketing summary or a marketing results page. And anytime a broker is making a recommendation for an HOA, for all lines of coverage that encapsulate its exposure, they should be able to procure and showcase a marketing survey and due diligence report. And what that does is it highlights All the insurers they went to specifically that are dedicated to community association and HOA living, and they also have feedback on there, declined, declination, it wasn't approved, but for the the reasons why, Mm -hmm. but ultimately, if any other insurers were interested, they can showcase the price. And the, the goal of that is to help boards and communities understand why this recommendation is being provided. Plus, it's a good best practice in terms of documentation to keep your file up to date so that the subsequent year you can compare and contrast and kind of see how the market is trending based off of that due diligence.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. So if, for instance, you're with State Farm, Mm -hmm. then the State Farm agent may only be able to generate a State Farm proposal for property. But if you're working with a broker that has access to multiple carriers, then that broker should essentially be able to get you three or four proposals and the marketing report or the marketing mm-hmm. summary will tell you who was willing to issue a proposal. Exactly, right. exactly okay. right. Um, okay, thanks, I think that's helpful. And I wanna just kind of touch back on something that you said earlier about the application that mm-hmm. the community or, um, or the broker submits on behalf of the community. Um, uh, for anybody who's filled out one of those applications, you know that they're really long and, and confusing, and sometimes they ask questions that a typical manager might not understand the answer to. So um, maybe you could just share, like, from your standpoint, how does a community understand what its square footage is? Let's say that yeah. a, a building was built in, like, 1995, and you don't have very complete records. What do you do?
1: Yeah, and it's something that we come across often. And I hear the pain point. We hear it too. uh, The community of brokers hear it. These applications are not fun. We also understand that boards and general managers have a lot on their plate, insurance being one of a myriad of things they have to deal with to run a community. So we understand that the application process is not ideal or fun. But I will also say that it is instrumental in providing the best result amongst the the underwriting community. You know, I joke, I keep saying, well, more is more. Uh, you know, it's not less is more, more is more. Underwriters want the data. They want as much information as they can get to help expedite their ability to make a business decision, but ultimately rate it appropriately based on the exposures.
0: Sure, yeah. I mean, that that makes a lot of sense. But like I said, let's say that you don't know. Yeah the total square footage of your building, or maybe it's multiple buildings. And there are usually questions around like how much square footage is subterranean parking Mm -hmm. versus, you know, habitable space and things like that. And if you don't have a clear picture of the answers, do you have any resources that you would recommend? Should a community hire an appraiser or a structural engineer Mm -hmm. or what do they do?
1: Yeah. Good point. So number one, if it's a prospective insurer that is evaluating the HOA, oftentimes they're going to send a engineer out prior to approving the risk. And so they can do an evaluation based off of their measuring and their expertise to come up with what they feel is the total area square footage, whether it's the parking exposure, the common area, et cetera. So that's one way of validating it by allowing the insurance company who is... um, looking at offering you terms and to partner with you to go out and engineer Um, uh, building engineers are great too third parties like that if it's an architectural engineer they can come out and support that endeavor Uh, we like that because they can also help you come up with what the valuation of the building should be on a replacement cost basis from a qualified engineering firm And in this environment, it's uh, critical to insure the value given what we're seeing in inflation and the rising costs. The path of least resistance, however, is to talk to your incumbent broker and your insurer. You know, what did you rate this based off of? What data did you have to come up with our premium? Can we see our total area square footage, the construction type of our building? Can you send me that data that this policy that is currently active used? and how, and what was determined to come up with the premium and what the exposure basis was. So the, there's a few ways that you can do it. Um, we've had some situations where um, there were old zip files from the 1980s, from the original development and the architectural drawings. So if a GM doesn't wanna go through that, we can do that as broker partners, work with the insurer to come up with what we determine is the total area square footage and have that dialogue. Okay. So there's a few paths. Okay.
2: Well, thank you, Jonathan. Really appreciate your insight and input into this topic. And uh, Matt, thank you for joining us again. And uh, I hope that was a helpful episode for you on the uncommon area. And I would encourage you to check out other episodes where we cover a variety of other topics.